All right, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Cutlass Podcast. I hope this finds you well. I know we're just coming out of Thanksgiving, getting ready to head into the Christmas holiday season. So I hope you're getting prepared for that and ready to spend some time with friends and family. Hey, if you're a new listener, welcome. I hope you enjoy what you hear. I hope you find it useful for your personal and professional development. There are about 42 other episodes I think I'm at now that you can check out. So I encourage you to add Cutlass Podcast to your podcast library, favorite it or follow it. And then welcome back to my loyal listeners as well. Thanks for your support and feedback you continue to provide. You all keep listening. I'll continue to work to generate content, offer my perspectives and the perspectives of some other great leaders, all in an effort to make you a more sturdy, versatile, incredible leader and a manager. I just got back from attending and speaking at the Navy Medicine National Capital Region Khaki Ball. That was a great event. Thanks to them for the opportunity and the invite to speak to that Chiefs mess. And I think it was 11 new Chief Selects. I had the opportunity to sign a few Chief Petty Officer guys while I was there. And on that note, I want to encourage you to consider getting your copy now if you haven't. And now is a really great time because the U.S. Naval Institute Press is offering holiday pricing from now until December 31st. So what that gets is 50% off the list price and free shipping on all books. But the offer only applies to individual orders only. So this is a good time for any of those new chiefs out there who want to get a copy of the Chief Petty Officer's Guide. Great resources to help you step off strong as a new Chief Petty Officer. Uh, and I will also, if you want to get those things signed, you can just reach out to me personally, You know, send me a message, and then uh, I can send you a signed insert for that if you get one. So think about that. And with that in mind, the Petty Officer's Guide that my co-author, Petty Officer Dan Richard, and I wrote is now available for pre-sale through Naval Institute Press as well. That's a March 22 release. So again, take advantage of that holiday pricing, 50% off, free shipping on those books. And you can get those at usni.org and search under the Books and Press tag. Or you can check them out on my website, cutlessleadership.com. Let's move on to this next episode. As I mentioned, I just got home from that khaki ball in D.C. And... For those not familiar, most are, I think, definitely in the Chiefs mess. We host these khaki balls as a kind of initial formal welcoming of the new Chiefs and, and their spouses or family members into the mess. Those happen around the Navy after the pinning ceremonies. The Navy recently advanced probably close to about 4,000 new Chiefs across the Navy, and they all went through a process called initiation. So congratulations to all those new Chief Petty Officers out there. As I explained in Chapter 7 of the Chief Petty Officers Guide, the primary goal of the initiation process is the effective socialization of new chiefs into their new peer group. And one of the significant lines of effort with the process is to indoctrinate them on the new expectations and roles that accompany their advancement to chief petty officer. Now, many of these are found in the chief petty officer's creed and the chief petty officer's mission, vision, guiding principles. Both of those are found in the chief petty officer's guide. So if you want to go back and read up on those, I'd encourage you to do that. But in the Chief Petty Officer's Creed, one of the requirements that's listed in there among many is to be the ambassador of goodwill. And I've been thinking about that three-word phrase and talking about this a lot lately. Although the CPO Creed is specific to the Navy Chiefs mess, I think this concept of being an ambassador of goodwill as a leadership responsibility is something that any leader, military or civilian, young or old, should reflect upon. Because doing so can either improve the climate, morale, and the attitude in your teams, and not doing it so well definitely erodes that. And then in turn, it erodes their attitude and actually their performance that you get out of them. So in this episode, I want to offer some thoughts and insights on how you can embrace and successfully execute the role of being an ambassador of goodwill. So like I've said in many episodes, words matter. 
So let's start with these words. So an ambassador. I think most people understand what this ambassador role is. You're familiar with an ambassador of the United States. But an ambassador is a person who represents, speaks for, or advises an organization, a group, a group of people, an activity, or a brand. And I think most people understand it, like I said. But I think we need to talk about a few things here. And I'm going to dive into the variety of groups and brands that leaders typically represent in their roles here in a little bit. But to me, the second word, goodwill, is the more important word for us to think about. So goodwill comes from the old English words of good, which means virtuous, and vila, which means wish. So together, it comes from the old term meaning good wish. In modern terms, I would say it's having friendly, helpful, or cooperative feelings or attitudes towards people, or having a disposition towards kindness and compassion. Opposite of goodwill would be having an attitude of hostility, apathy, meanness, or disagreement. And again, I'm going to discuss that a little more here in a bit as we get through. On the chief petty officer side, it says that the chief will be the ambassador of goodwill. So there's even a third word. The doesn't sound like a big deal, but when you talk about the in the context of it, that's a lot of responsibility, and we're going to talk about who you serve for an ambassador for and why that responsibility is so big. All right, so we've got a better understanding of what those words mean, ambassador of goodwill. So let's explore first some attributes of what makes a good ambassador in general. Number one, you've got to have knowledge of and loyalty to your brand, your organization, and your people. So you can't go out there and represent something or speak about it or encourage loyalty towards that brand if you don't even know what you're doing. You've heard me talk in many episodes about the importance of expert power and one of the lines of effort, frankly, and one of the areas of your expertise is expertise of your profession, your brand, and many other things that I'm going to discuss here in a little bit. How well do you know the brand? How loyal are you to that brand? And I'm going to talk at the end, too, a little bit about loyalties and conflicted loyalties, because in some cases, you're going to find that who you're serving for an ambassador for in an organization, in many cases, it's you're wearing several different hats within one organization at the same time. It's great when those things are aligned, but they can become misaligned, and you're going to have these loyalty challenges. I think a second thing an ambassador needs is a high level of professionalism. So again, this is your personal behavior that gets into that character piece, that personal power base we've talked about. You are representing all these other people and organizations. So it's not just about you and what you want to do. Don't embarrass the organization, the people in it, or the brand. Also got to know your stuff, like I've talked about. And then I think part of this is being open to change and open to learning as well. Those are attributes that good ambassadors should have. The third thing, definitely in these days, right? If you're going to be an ambassador and represent something to people, you've got to be having an in-person or digital communication skills. So you can't represent, you can't communicate, you can't explain unless you're not good with your speaking skills, you don't have good writing skills, you don't have good listening skills that I'll talk to you about in a bit, and that you're non-verbals, right? And like how you dress, how you come across, all those things matter. I've done several different podcast episodes on each of those. So go back and check those out. Those specific ones on speaking skills, writing skills, and listening skills are important. And I'll continue to talk about those. An ambassador needs good leadership skills. Obviously, that's a key point of this whole podcast, but your ability to influence people and compel action. On this ambassador piece, it's not just representing it. You're usually trying to achieve something. So if I'm the ambassador of the United States, I'm trying to influence these host nations or partner nations I'm in. I want good relationships because those are going to provide opportunities for the countries on both sides to work together 
if I'm a brand ambassador working for a company, right, I probably definitely want to go out there and be representing the brand because in turn, you want to increase sales or awareness of what that certain thing you're out there doing. How is that done? As we talked about, it's through using your leadership skills, influence tactics, communication skills to get people to understand what's going on and compel action to achieve your goals. Next thing I think you need is a belief in and a passion for people and relationships. This is a people business, being a leader and an ambassador. And your belief in people is started with your attitude and your approach towards your teams. And I think it gets into implicit bias. I haven't specifically done a topic on this, but I know we've heard about it. Specifically, a lot of times this gets into gender relations or race relations, but it really gets into your leadership interactions too, because we all step off with a belief system and an attitude towards people from a leadership perspective, just like our people step off with a value and belief system about us as leaders. And it's how we view people initially that shapes our attitude. So when you come to work, do you view your people as these adults that are learning and developing and want to do their best? Or do you look at them as just immature, irresponsible, quote unquote, children that need to be managed and given consistent direction? Do you have a propensity towards their personal success or thinking that they come to work wanting to be personally successful? Or do you think they come to work with an attitude of inherent irresponsibility and the desire to fail? I tend to think that people get up in the morning and want to do their best. And I definitely believe from my experience in my reading on human behavior that there are other things that will usually shape people's attitudes away from being committed or being able to do their job. And I will continue to talk about those things in future episodes of the podcast. But how you step off and view your people will determine, I think, if you are an ambassador of goodwill or if you come across as an ambassador of hostility. If you view that your people are just irresponsible and prone to failure, that will shape your attitude and you're usually going to come in with that kind of apathetic attitude, cynical, not a good way. Now, this doesn't mean you can't have high standards of performance for your teams. It doesn't mean you can't demand high standards. It doesn't mean you can't express frustration. It doesn't mean you can't express disappointment. And it doesn't mean you can't lead in a firm and fair way. Those are all important things to do as a leader. But you need to be professional and you should be taking the time to evaluate how you're being perceived and the tone you're setting based on the attitude you're stepping off as a leader and an ambassador for your teams that we're going to talk about. I get it. I've been there. I've had these things happen to me. I know I've stepped off wrong with my attitude, especially as a young chief petty officer where I started to think about, hey, I should be leading in this kind of not so great way. And I, it just wasn't good. And I had to have a personal learning and reset there. And I've talked about that on past episodes of the podcast. But fatigue, burnout, creeping cynicism, all those things are real realities that can shape our attitudes as well. So you've got to be able to identify those. I talked about those on a recent podcast episode too. And you got to be able to manage those as a leader. So check out those episodes and hopefully they'll get you to reflect on how well you're doing. And then finally, the last attribute I would offer is the ability to gather feedback and offer insights on behalf of people. So as chief petty officers or middle managers, you're a linchpin of communication. So you've got to be able to translate the intent of the organization and the goals and the why. And we've talked about that on past episodes of the podcast. But then you've also got to be able to be that ambassador and transmit the impacts of policy, the impacts of communication effectiveness, and any kind of personal challenges that your teams are experiencing. You've got to be able to translate those things up. So this ability to get with your teams, gather feedback, 
understand what's going on with the decision makers and have insights to them and then offer insights up and down what we would call the chain of command or the organizational hierarchy or across your flat hierarchy is clearly a role that an ambassador should do. So the more you invest in those skills and attributes, and they are things you should work on and develop, the stronger your ambassador effectiveness will be, and then vice versa, right? So when you don't develop those skills, you're not going to be as strong of an ambassador on behalf of these organizations and group that you really want to represent. And then through your own investment or ignorance, frankly, of those attributes and those skills, you're going to either strengthen or erode your organization and that brand of that organization. And you can impact the reputation of those things because I'm telling you, as much as so many people in a group and organization do it right, as you know, the things that get the attention and really impact organizational reputation are when the people fail and definitely when they fail publicly. So consider that as your role as an ambassador. All right. So those are the attributes. Now let's get into who you represent. Being an ambassador of goodwill is something that any leader can take an attitude of or can use an example. But I'm going to use the Navy Chiefs as an example for this. You should be able to adjust it to your organization, your brand, or your position in your organization. Here are the most of the hats that I think Navy chiefs wear and that they're representing. So the first one we always talk about is we're representing our country. So it's the United States Navy. We go overseas. We deploy worldwide. When you're in a foreign port, we always talk to our people about you are representing the United States. And believe it or not, those foreign countries and people there see our behavior and it shapes a mindset and their attitudes towards us as a country. That's the first thing you represent as your country. The second thing a chief represents is the U.S. Navy. From boot camp and all their follow-on training, they're indoctrinated and we try to shape that value and belief system and get them aligned to these core values of the United States Navy, the Sailor's Creed, code of conduct, right? We try to get them aligned and fundamentally able to represent what the U.S. Navy is about, understand its history and heritage, this is represented by every sailor wearing a name tape that says U.S. Navy somewhere on that uniform. And you find it in other things too, like cups or coffee mugs or stationery and things like that. The U.S. Navy is definitely another thing that a Navy chief petty officer is an ambassador for. The next thing they're an ambassador for is their command and their commanding officer. We all wear a command ball cap. We're assigned to a unit. In the civilian world, this could be the actual place you work. It could be the company brand, but it could be a subordinate company to them, whatever that has it. Everywhere usually has some kind of logo that represents it. You know, in this ambassador role, you're representing your CEO and your company. And people see that and they make assumptions on that company based on your behavior. So with this, it's important to have knowledge of the mission and the history of your organization so you can represent it. But again, you are representing that unit in addition to these other things I've talked about. Another thing the chiefs are representing, their rating and their warfare community. On the civilian side, this is your profession. So if I'm a doctor, I'm representing the medical profession. If I'm a lawyer, I'm representing the legal profession. And you can translate that across many civilian professions and trades. And in the Navy, this is represented with our rating badges, our rating symbols, and our warfare pins. Each chief petty officer, if you represent a certain rating and your expert power in that rating is weak, Again, you are not representing as an ambassador the way you should within that rating community. The Cutlass Podcast will return in a moment. Are you an aspiring or newly selected petty officer? Perhaps you are a seasoned chief and you want to reflect on the state of your leadership and management skills. Or maybe you're a civilian looking to learn more about how U.S. Navy leaders make the Navy run. If so, there's a guide for you. The Chief Petty Officers and Petty Officers Guides both provide unique insights into topics such as the ones discussed in this podcast 
which enable enlisted leaders from Petty Officer Third Class through Mass Chief and other leaders to achieve their objectives while positively influencing their sailors, peers, and leadership. Both guides are essential and insightful reading for enlisted leaders of any experience level, those who are inspired to advance to Chief Petty Officer or Petty Officer, or anyone looking to reflect on the state of their leadership and management skills. Get your copy of either or both today at cutlessleadership.com, usni.org, backslash books, or online at your bookstore of choice. Then read and reflect and take what you learn to become and remain a sturdy, versatile, and credible leader and manager who makes a positive difference in your teams. Now back to the Cutlass Podcast. Another thing they represent is sailors and the enlisted experience. So like I mentioned before, they have to translate this experience and the impacts that policies and changes and decisions have on their people. And I'll get into this later. In many cases, some of these are hard decisions that leaders make. They've thought through them long and hard. And even though that decision is made and we call it post-decisional, that doesn't mean that we still don't translate that experience and the impacts those policies and decisions are having on people. From that role, you're serving as an ambassador for your people and team. So all leaders and managers have that. It's not just translating down. It's your ability to capture the insights, the experiences of your people, and translate that up. We all serve as ambassadors for our family. Our last name is that brand of our family name, and we were shaped by given values and beliefs. Hopefully, ideally, those were good. So that's another thing you represent, regardless of where you're at, regardless of what you're doing, and regardless of the other hats that you may be wearing, you're definitely representing your family. And then also Navy chiefs, obviously one of the big things they've learned here during initiation for the new chiefs is now they represent the Navy chief petty officer's mess. And I've talked about this extensively in chapter eight of the CPO guide, which focuses on chief's mess. We represent this with the khakis, the new anchor collar devices, their combo cap and things like that. So they do serve as ambassadors for the broader chief's mess. And we have seen many chiefs can be doing it right, but I'll tell you the chiefs that don't do it right are the ones that get the attention and then everyone associates all chief mess behavior with and then those not doing it right and not effectively serving as ambassador of goodwill or perhaps shifted towards being ambassadors of hostility, they do damage to the broader chief petty officer reputation. So that's one thing that got me thinking lately. I've been reading these Reddit streams, articles that have been written, podcasts that are talking about, about this loss of trust in the chief's mess. And I'm convinced based on my experience, there's a lot of chiefs doing great things out there and these sailors that are writing and talking about this acknowledge that. But there are many that are not being ambassadors. There's a lot of do as I say, not do as I do kind of behaviors out there. And again, that is not doing the ambassador role well on behalf of the Navy chiefs mess. So you can see many brands that a chief petty officer is representing or that you represent within your profession or your trade. It's a 24-7 job too. We say that a lot. Hey, it's 24-7, but it really is. You can see that somewhere at some point you are wearing that hat of some organization. Sometimes you're wearing one of those hats. Sometimes you're wearing several at a time. And sometimes each one of these, like I said, one of the attributes of an ambassador is this loyalty to brand. But sometimes the loyalties are going to come into conflict. So it's great when all the loyalties are aligned. So when I'm out deployed as a sailor, I'm representing my country, my Navy, my command, my rating warfare. I'm representing my sailors, my family, the CPO mess. It all goes together. But some things are going to happen where... You're going to be in the middle and you're going to be representing certain things and they're going to come into conflict. So I think it's important that you give time to consider which organization or brand you're expected to represent in a given situation. And there are 
expectations for given situations of what you should, quote unquote, be representing. But if you knowingly or unknowingly choose loyalty to the quote unquote wrong brand or group at that time, you've got to understand that there's going to be a cost. And I'll cover some examples of that. We've seen that and I'm sure you've seen that in the news and other areas. So some examples. So let's start with the unpopular policy decision or order, which brings disagreement or discomfort into the team. So this could be something like a policy change, which requires longer working hours, less resources, perhaps vaccinations. That's a recent example. These are all things that the organization requires. It's made a decision to do, but now it brings your loyalty to your organization or your command or your brand in conflict with loyalty to your people, right? So there may be people at the team that are, there will be people in the team that are suffering adverse impacts or their personal value and beliefs don't agree with the policy decision making. So one role, this brings you into this kind of ambassador of change thing, and you got to really put on your change agent hat uh, to help work through this, right? So ideally, your goal here is to, as long as that decision is ethical, it's legal, right? And even those are kind of gray at times. But as long as it's not unsafe or anything like that, your loyalty usually is to support organization, unit, and translate down and get people to align and support the decision and achieve the objectives of the decision. So the things you can do here, number one, because you're going to find this, especially if you're a new leader and you haven't had to do this, and you're now on the other side of the leader-follower relationship, right? You were them, and now you are the leader. So you've got to understand, number one, understand why the decision was made and the trade-offs that were made and understand that leadership has thought through this because usually there's good governance and good organizations that think through these things. Hopefully they have pulsed the organization already and mid-level managers and leaders to kind of get feedback and kind of identify the risks or outcomes from the decision. But you need to, as as a change agent and a leader leading through this kind of change or decision, you need to understand why the decision was made and the trade-offs. Second thing you do, you communicate the policy down. Communicate the policy, the why, and the understanding of the cost of the decision made by leadership that I discussed. Then you open it up, right? You get your team together. You give them the opportunity to vent and give their concerns, right? So you solicit the feedback from your team. You identify concerns. You let them have their say. And then you take that back and you communicate those impacts and attitudes up. And when you need to, you encourage decision makers to adjust the policies if possible or the decision, or in some cases, it's just they need to clarify some areas. So those are things as as that middle level leader that you should work to do. And then from there, this is ongoing as you're going through this change process. You continue to communicate and support up and down, and then you've got to continue to engage the resistance to the policy to resolve these conflicts. This might be an opportunity to teach younger people or team members about loyalty and what that means. And then, frankly, you might find yourself where you don't disagree and you've got to examine your own personal attitudes, values, and beliefs with regard to the policy decision, right? And you might even find yourself like unable to personally support it. And then you find yourself in a position to go, hey, I might not be the best person, you know, if you can't agree to those and they're solid made decisions and they're not unethical, they're not unsafe, You might have to examine your own personal attitudes, values, and beliefs and make a decision about your employment in the organization. So there's what you do when you're in that situation where you have an unpopular policy decision or order, which can introduce disagreement or discomfort into the team. All right. Another example is when you have a group of people and you're all represented. So I'm going to say the Navy Chiefs mess in this example. 
And then you have an individual attitude or behavior, which is running counter to group norms. And, and you might find like one of these fellow chiefs or one of your fellow peers, friends, or colleagues that works with you, their attitude or their behavior is running counter to the group norm that you're in. So now the loyalty conflict is between the group that you're an ambassador for or the person or the friend or the colleague. And usually you're not an ambassador for them per se. So in the chief's mess, this would be where we have a chief petty officer who's involved in some, you know, the attitude's negative. Maybe they become that, you know, an ambassador of hostility. Maybe they're doing behavior. There's say-do gaps out there. Maybe they're in some ethical dilemmas. You see things that they aren't representing the group. And you try to fix it, right? Initially, your loyalty, I'm with you. You can have loyalty to your friend, peer, or colleague first, right? And you can go, hey, what's going on? You pull them aside, address the behavior, see what's going on, try to, you know, make them aware, Talking Johari window here, right? Maybe they've got some unknowns that they don't even know about how they're being perceived or acting in certain areas. I know that I've had that happen to me and, and I've talked about that in prior episodes. But this is when you pull the person aside and you just engage, right? As a friend, like, hey, what's going on? I'm noticing a behavior shift. Hey, people have been saying this. Hey, people are observing this. Your sailors are saying this. And you just have that that conversation. And ideally, when you make them aware and offer yourself as a resource and an ear right? What's going on? Maybe they have something going on in their personal life that's shifting them, right? Maybe they've had that creeping cynicism that's crept into their lives. Maybe they're getting exhausted and burnt out, right? Start out with loyalty, friend, peer, and colleague, and try to get the behavior to change. But if you engage and then you notice that they're either dismissive of your engagement or they continue the behavior, now you should start to see like, okay, you're not getting that loyalty reflected backward, or for some reason, they're not opening to change, so now I've got to address in a different way. So this is when I recommend that the loyalty definitely shifts towards the organization. And this is where I would go to a fellow peer and go, hey, I just had a conversation with so-and-so, not responsive to me. Here's things I'm seeing and hearing. Perhaps this other person you're going to have a coalition with has been seeing and hearing the same things. And you come together and try to adjust the behavior. And then if you still get resistance, right, and still doing behavior that puts the reputation of the brand you're in at, at risk... Now it's time to perhaps shift into more negative discipline, right? So now maybe we have to go formal. Maybe we have to get, you know, a command senior enlisted leader involved or a department head. Maybe we need to shift to more paper-based counseling and things like that to try to get it. Because at that point, the the risk isn't just to the chief's mess. The risk then becomes to the command reputation or Navy reputation because all those things are at risk at that point. I think that's where another, another area you're going to find these loyalties at conflict. In these kinds of situations, both the ones I talked about, you might choose to represent the quote unquote wrong thing again, right? So let's go back to that example of the chief petty officer who's kind of straying with their behavior or their attitude. You might not check that behavior, right? So you're, you know about it and you're making the decision not to check it. So you're really showing loyalty to that person at that point, vice loyalty to the chief's mess reputation, the command reputation or the Navy. And maybe there's a time when people call you out on that. And if you choose the wrong thing, your personal reputation within that organization is going to get tarnished as well. You know, if you choose personal values over organizational values, you know, some of these policies come with the fact that you can't work in an organization or you can be fired from them or something like that. Only you can make these decisions. I can't, your leadership can't make them for you, right? But I'm here to try to communicate and get you to understand and accept that there may be a cost to your personal reputation and career if you choose these loyalties, right? I watched a 60 Minutes episode last night, and it was talking about a young lady. She was in the Air Force, and then she went to work for the National Security Agency. And 
she came across a top secret document that was talking about how Russian cyber people were interfering with the elections. I guess she didn't feel that that was being communicated effectively to the people who oversee elections and they that the threat wasn't being communicated. So she decided to mail that document to him, right? So she knew she was taking risk, but she thought her loyalty to the country at that point was trumping the loyalty to her organization. So she ended up doing some jail time for that. She's on probation now. But uh, it's a very interesting 60 Minutes article, and you might want to check that out. That came out last night. It gets into big picture loyalty, like is my loyalty to my country and patriotism, or is it loyalty to NSA and things like that? These are difficult decisions, but they had a consequence for her, and she's dealing with those. So there is going to be a time when, as a leader or a person, you're going to have these loyalty conflicts. So the first thing you do, if you're feeling them, it's a lot of pressure. I understand that. But go out and talk to people, right? Get advice. Talk to people who have experience with this and get insight before you make these decisions on who or what you're going to represent. So at least if you do decide to go with a certain side or a certain loyalty and quote unquote, it's the wrong for the expected loyalty in that situation, you'll at least have made a well thought out decision. You'll understand the consequences and communicate those to the people that that decision may have an impact on besides you. So I think that'll wrap it up. This concept of ambassador of goodwill, I hope this episode's offered you some insights and tools on how to work in this leadership era of your leadership portfolio. I would offer that this is personal power-based strengthening. You know, what are your existing values and beliefs? And then it gets into attributes of a leader and your character and things that can make you a better ambassador for your teams. And I'm telling you, when you're a better ambassador for your teams, the attitude of your teams improves and the performance of your team improves and your relationship with them will. So I think if you take some time to reflect on this, get some feedback, you can improve in this area. And I think it'll have overall benefits for you. So take some time this week to reflect on your role as an ambassador. And then some questions you should ask yourself. Number one, in my current role, who should I be serving as an ambassador for? And what and who do I represent to that organization, group, or brand? And we talked about a lot of that earlier, but Depending on where you work and your unique circumstances, whether you're civilian or military, that's going to change. But it's over to you to kind of figure out who I'm an ambassador for. Am I missing some group? Um, and am I doing it right for the groups I'm at? Number two, how well are my ambassador attributes and skills developed? I went through those already. So over to you to develop those. Again, I offer several podcast episodes that get into specific skills there. So check those out. And then number three, I'd say, start asking yourself, what are the values and beliefs I have about my organization, my brand, and my people that are shaping my attitude as an ambassador? So do those beliefs and values lean me towards goodwill, or do they lead me towards hostility, apathy, or cynicism? And I've talked extensively about that. So take those three questions, reflect on them, and then improve. It's up to you, and you can do this. That'll do it for this episode of the Cutlass Podcast. To learn more about this topic, make sure to check out the Chief Petty Officer's Guide or the other resources I've discussed. If you like what you hear, again, subscribe to the Cutlass Podcast, follow it, and like and share. Help me spread this content to those who can use it to improve. Help me get it out to those 4,000 new Chief Petty Officers and those other 30,000 that are out there serving worldwide. And then also consider checking out my webpage at CutlassLeadership.com and following my Facebook page, Cutlass Leadership Concepts. The newest podcast episodes will automatically post to the Cutlass Leadership Concepts page, but I also share them on my personal Facebook page as well and on LinkedIn. This is Paul Kingsbury. Work hard to keep your leadership sharp, reflect, improve, and take what you learn to become a sturdy, versatile, incredible leader who dares to make a positive difference. I'll talk to you next time.